Yeah, I, I trust that you're having a good morning. It's been a good, wonderful time to be together as uh, just as family and to celebrate together to worship our Heavenly Father. You know, it's, I asked a really, really good, good friend one time. Uh, he became a mentor. He was, uh, I'll never forget, uh, water skied together when he was 87 repairing his roof at 90. Um, I remember his wife coming out, and uh, she was a couple years younger, so, and she told, forbid him to ever go back up on the roof, because, you know, you've, you're 90 now, you're retired. He had no chainsaws and no roof. I thought he had died that day, <laughs> and the look on his face, and, and so I took him aside, I think it was about 92, when he was 92, and I asked him, so man, what has been the secret, because they had celebrated their 75th wedding anniversary, and they just, they just seemed to be just cruising right along. And I just said, what's been the secret with your family and with your marriage? And it's, man, this has been amazing. And he said, well, uh, two things. And I said, just two? And he said, yeah, just two. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, I, I eat my wife's apple pie every week. And I said, man, I got that one covered. I said, my, I married my wife because she could cook an apple pie. <laughs> and uh, he said, okay. He said, oh, there you go. I said, I eat my apple pie every week. And he's right. She freezes an apple pie, a whole apple pie, and they're stacked like cordwood in a freezer. That, I'm serious. I opened up the freezer and he showed me. And I was like, wow, that's quite amazing. But he said, then the second one is this. He said, just remember these words. Yes, dear, you're right. <laughs> Men, there was some wisdom imparted that day. I can't honestly say that I've lived up to that. <laughs> I, I, I struggle with that one. But uh, I remember the first time I used those words. I said, yes, dear, and I got in trouble. I was like, yes, dear, was like we were having an argument. So I was like, okay, honey, it's okay. <laughs> she did not like yes, dear. <laughs> I soon found out, yes, dear, was whenever her dad was frustrated with mom. He heard, he, she heard, yes, dear. So I was like, oh, I can't. I have to change those words. I trust that, men, you are learning and you are growing and your relationship with your family, uh, with your family members, whether you're a son or uh, you're part of uh, uh, your family. It's good to be growing together. And you know, the beauty of it is, is you know, we only need to re really remember one thing is, is we need to grow closer to the Lord. And the more that we grow closer to the Lord, the more we can grow closer together as a family. This is what makes First Baptist special. It's not because we're a church, not because of our name, not because of where we're located, not because of the color of the church, not because of the color of the carpet, you know, that stained coffee some places, um, not because of our experiences, but because we have a heavenly Father, and we can be family together through the gospel. You know, and that is really what's powerful when we learn about the reality of God's wrath. What makes the gospel so powerful when we look at verses 16 and 17 is the fact that God's wrath is real. And it is against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. And he hates it when we treat each other poorly. 
He hates it when we, when we just ignore him and treat him poorly. And, and it's real. But it makes the gospel and the fact that his love that was poured out for us, the, that Christ died on the cross for our sin, that he rose again on the third day, and now is, is seated at the right hand of God. It's a special place that Christ belongs, making intercession to intercede on our behalf as brothers and sisters in Christ, to say, that one belongs to me. When Satan sits there and, and wants to, to make you doubt and, and to make you worry and to be frustrated, and, he, and, and Satan is, is yelling at the, at the rooftops and saying, he's a sinner, she's a sinner. And there's Christ saying, no, 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 no. I saved that one. He, he or she is no longer under your wrath. I can just imagine the joy and the smile both on Christ and on God's face as he just looks at Satan and says, depart from me. Get away. God's wrath is real and because of that, it really helps us to understand how powerful the gospel is. This morning, you'd be pleased to know that I only got four pages of notes. <laughs> Just pray that I stick to them. <laughs> Let's pray and read our text this morning in Romans chapter 1 and looking at just, we're going to look at verses 18 through 20. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. Help us to lift it high that we would make much of your words. Your words, not only the church in Rome, but your words to us today, now. That your Holy Spirit would lead us to your truth that is written right here, that was given to us. That we might be built up in the family of God. That we might know you, not just know about you, but to know you more. To realize all of your attributes, to realize how great you are. Lord, with that comes things that we don't like, and, and those things that we don't like usually reveal the things that we don't like about ourselves. But Lord, may we stop listening to the world and, and to the schemes of the evil one, the devil. Lord, may we listen to your word. May we trust you. And realize that you tell us the whole truth. Even the things we don't like to hear. To reveal how great your love truly is. That has been poured out for us. Lord, help us to elevate this word today in our hearts. To put aside the other things of the day. And to remember how great you truly are. And we thank you and we praise you for the work that you are doing. And will do. Through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Of course, we know Romans is all about the gospel. It's all about Christ. That's why Paul says, I am a slave of Christ. His one and only servant. No longer a slave to sin because of the work of Christ. He's been set apart for this work. For the gospel. For the good news. That has been prepared beforehand for all eternity. Christ is not a created being that just happened 
It's not just circumstantial, but the work that he did for us is purposeful. It's planned. It's for us. And now he gets down to verse 18, talking about the reality of why the gospel is so important. In fact, he starts, he launches from verse 18 all the way through the end of chapter 3. It has to deal with all of our shortcoming, all of our sin, the reality of who we are so we could realize who God truly is. So we know what salvation really is. And he goes on and God teaches us and he says in verse 18, he says these words, his word to us. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they, that is man, all mankind, so that they are without excuse. Part of God's wrath is we need to realize that no man, no one, Nobody is without excuse. And that is a reality about God's wrath. Right? He says they are not without an excuse. In fact, in verses 18 through 20, Paul breaks out in his his basic pattern that he does in many, many of his texts all through the New Testament. God loved to use Paul in this way. And to basically say, here is a statement that is point A, and here is another statement which is what leads to point B, which also leads to C, which then gives us E or F or G. And he says, if this is true, then this is our reality. And he starts off with talking about the reality of God's wrath And he says, why is God's wrath poured out to all mankind? Why is God's wrath something to be feared? And why are we under God's wrath? And he gives us this full statement and he ends with this very words. So they, so us, so no one is without an excuse. No one can stand before God and say, well, but, 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 but God. You know what I'm talking about, right? When I know when I come home and, and things have been pretty bad at the house and my wife has said those magical words, just wait till dad gets home and the magic happens, right? And the pouting happens and they obey because they know that they're serious now. And I come home, and I go, okay, so what happened? And I hear those those other magical words, but, 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 and I hear all, I'm like, no. Anytime the word but is used, I'm like, no. I said, I just, just tell me what you did. I don't want to know, but this. But isn't that the, the reality of our life? That when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to worshiping God, how many times do we spend our life saying, but to God? 
In your introduction, in our very light and light uh, outline this morning, that we will basically it's just the introduction for next week. It says this is in introduction. I think it's safe to say basically that most of us have landed in one of these excuses. There's three of them that I've outlined, and and I can lump a lot of different excuses in under one of these in some place. You know, we can put 1A, 1B, or 2A, 2, but we can lump it in one of these three areas. They're not exhaustive, but they remind us of why God's wrath even exists. The first one is this. I didn't know, right? I just didn't know. How many times in our life we have said that very thing? I didn't know. And sometimes, probably many times, we can be honest and say, I just didn't know. But guess what? Now you know. And you have a responsibility. Right? I always like that. Sometimes I've done something and now I know. Right? Yeah, I, There's a reason why I know how to get my vehicles out of the mud. Right? You'd think I wouldn't be back in the mud but I think I know better. I, I've said that so many times. I remember the first time I sunk my axles in the mud. I was in college, driving up the backside of the hill that leads to the college, going four by fouring in places I should not have been. And I sunk my truck, well, my parents' truck, into the mud. <laughs> Luckily, I knew people like Dan Deckard, who had bigger trucks. <laughs> and were more experienced about getting stuck. I still remembered when he came and said, I need help, because I got high-centered. But we do this, I just didn't know. And there are times when we say that, I didn't know, but we really do know. We try to use that excuse many times when we really do feel, we know in our heart that we're doing something we shouldn't do. There's a second one. I'm not as bad as the other people, right? I'm not as bad as them. Hey, man, that, that, that excuse has been used for centuries. Just go back into Habakkuk. Habakkuk, the prophet, he's mad because the children of God, they're all sinning against God. And he says, God, haven't you seen your children? Look how they, they sin against you. Aren't you going to do something about it? Right? Aren't you a righteous God? And he says, God, where are you? And he goes, you wouldn't believe it if I told you what I'm going to do. And he kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And finally God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use Babylon to, to deal with your sin. And, and Habakkuk, right after that, he goes, but God, they're worse than us. He pulls out, I'm not as bad as the other people excuse. You know what? We do that so much in our life. So many times in our life, we go around and we say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. We watch here. And, you know, somebody's used you as that very excuse. Well, I'm not as bad as them, right? Hey, I was in junior high once, too. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, fortunately for my, my junior high years extended well into college. <laughs> well, maybe older, <laughs> But here's the thing. 
we use that excuse. We look on the horizontal level and we tend to judge our life based on what we see in other people. The reality is, is our life is not measured by what we see in other people. It's measured by God's holiness. By God's holiness. Who God is. That is why God is filled with wrath when he, he looks at all of sin in mankind. Their unrighteousness, their ungodliness. Here's the other one that we see a lot. Well, I go to church. I'm not really that bad. Right? We satisfy our life many times by just saying, I go to church. I'm, I feel better because I went to church today. I feel better because I didn't act out in church today. Or maybe you say, well, I felt good because I didn't have a bad thought today in church. <laughs> right? And, uh, or maybe you said, phew, I didn't step on anybody's toes today. I, I, I think of that way sometimes when I go home from, I didn't think that last week though. <laughs> yeah, we use this excuse a lot. We think, well, I'm no longer under God's wrath and, and I don't even, God's wrath is a bygone thing because I go to church. We use that excuse far, far too much. These verses are here, and God gives us this reality to remind us that we need to see the truth about our sin and how it affects God. You know, why in the world would he say, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit? You know, when we, when we look at and we say that my choice in life is more important than God, and that's what sin is, is to say, I can do what I want to do, and what God wants me to do doesn't matter. My way is better. And when we do that, it hurts the Lord just as much as it causes his wrath. And here's the reality that we see at the end of verse 18. At the end of verse 18, it says, Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth? You ever wonder why God is so upset with all of mankind? And this is really where it begins, is with this statement. Whoop, I went too far. And my lovely assistant will bail me out once again. <laughs> oh, oh, there it is. It's not the conclusion, but it's the beginning of the conclusion. <laughs> Mankind is individually... It's an individual thing responsible for trying to cover up God's truth. You say, why is God, what has caused this wrath? What is the problem? And we all can say we know that sin is the responsible unit in dealing with this. But how did it take root in our life? And the reality is, is that we spend our entire life suppressing the truth. Did you notice, um, well, before we get there, did you notice the very first words there? But um, a very wise man, and he's not a theologian, but his words ring so true when it comes to verse 18, where it says that their, personally, their righteousness, unrighteousness, suppress the truth. Winston Churchill said this, even though not a theologian, 
not even know if he's really a true believer. I can't say one thing or another. But he said this. Men occasionally stumble over the truth. But most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had even happened. Think about that. He said many men, many of us stumble over the truth. And yet we pick ourselves up and acted as if nothing really happened and just go on about our life. That's really the reality here that Paul is trying to get across to the church in Rome. His first thoughts there is that it's by their unrighteousness. It's, it's an individual thing. It's, it's our unrighteousness. It's our sin. It's our very nature. By nature, we are, we are children of wrath. We were dead in our sins, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Praise the Lord that he made us alive. Praise the Lord that, that God in his infinite mercy and his love, but his gift, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the second thing is even more telling. Not only is it it's about the individual, but secondly, that word suppress found there at the end of verse 18, that through their unrighteousness, their personal sin, their choice in life, their very nature is an attempt to suppress the truth. That word is so important. It's in the present tense, which indicates that, that ungodly men and women are continually, actively, willfully trying to push God's truth below the surface of their life. Below the surface. They don't want to feel the effects of it. They are doing things in their life to, to surrender that, to push it down, so that way it will no longer be evident. It can no longer actively convict them. It can no longer actively pursue them, push them into God's direction. It's also in the active voice. And the verb here is so important to understand that it's active. It's an active thing. It's an active, willful disobedience. God is saying that his wrath is activated because of men who are willfully, actively dis in disobedience, suppressing the truth of God. It's an active choice. When we sin, it's an active choice. It's like a beach ball. I remember when we moved to Oklahoma, you know, it was a, it was a crazy time in my life to move from Alaska to Oklahoma. I was in major culture shock. And I think that's part of the reason I've moved so many times in my life. That's why I like new cultures. I love to get to, new, uh, get to know new people. One of the best things, though, and... Fishing was not one of them. I had to learn to fish in mud puddles. I, I could never... They asked me if I wanted to be baptized in, in the lake there. I said, not on your life. I was already baptized in clean water in Alaska. <laughs> and uh, I was so privileged to be baptized in Alaska in, in a baptistry because otherwise I would have froze to death. But, but here's the thing. We moved there and, and we're there and we had a swimming pool. And it's like if you lived any, you, you had to either A, live next to a pond, or B, you had to have a swimming pool to actually enjoy the summers. 
and I couldn't get it. It was just so hot and miserable. And so the first thing we do is we go out, and the first thing you did is you looked in the pool because, there, A, there could be huge spiders. We had big old tarantulas. Or, B, you could have nice, wonderful snakes. I like snakes, so they were wonderful. I like the spiders, too. I used to put them on my back and walk into the house just to freak my mom out. And, uh, you know, it's amazing that, my, that I survived. It's amazing my mom survived. But uh, I used to love to do things like that. And, uh, and so my wife knows that I bugged my mom just as much as I bug her. But we love that. And you go there and you check the water. You make sure that there was no living creature in the water. Then you would jump in. But the favorite thing that we like to do was to submerge a beach ball. Have you ever tried that? You like, I'd love to see if I could stay as long as I can. I want to be like Jesus. I wanted to walk on the water. You know, and so I can't tell you how many times, man, you jump off the side, you land on the beach ball, you try to submerge that beach ball and stay on top with all of your might. And it just, it would flip you over in a heartbeat. And if you weren't careful, I thought, oh, if I just tied myself to multiple beach balls, it would, you know, it would do the job. What it did was it actually flipped me over and securely held me under the water. Yeah, and I learned, I, it was a good thing I was on the swim team because I could hold my breath forever. And I learned that day just about how long I could <laughs> until I untied myself. That beach ball is, is kind of like God's truth. We do just about everything we can, and we fight as we might to suppress God's truth with our life in some way or fashion. We do all sorts of things. We tether things to our life. We think that'll bring happiness and joy. That'll bring all sorts of different things that in, in some sense often take the place of God. Sometimes on purpose and sometimes not on purpose. And we jump as we might and we try to submerge the reality of God's truth and we try to stay afloat above the water, but it always inadvertently flips us over. As we, as we try, we try, we try, we try, but you cannot fully suppress God's truth. And yet, in our minds, many times, we try to hold down the truth of God in our minds. We try to hold it down. Why? Because... If this is true about God, then that means that I have to change. That means I may be no longer in control. And if I'm no longer in control, then I really do have to respond to God. And that's the crux of the matter. That's why we have the world in which we live in, that they do every single thing that they can imagine to change God's truth. Because they are born from the father of lies. Don't you remember in the garden, Satan came to Eve and said, has not God said? And he changed God's truth, right? And he got them to try to submerge God's truth. And this is the reality, that we are responsible. It's an individual thing. We, every day, inadvertently, through our sin, sometimes knowingly through our sin, but because of our sin, we suppress God's truth. 
Spurgeon said it this way. He said those last words in verse 18 may be read, those who hold down the truth in or by unrighteousness, they will not let the truth work upon their hearts. They will not allow it to operate in their minds, but they try to make it an excuse for their sin. Well, I didn't know. I don't want to know. You know, we've been there, right? Sometimes the closer we get to know God, they're like, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to know anymore because that makes me culpable. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, you already are. Every man, everybody is naturally inclined to follow sin and resist God. That's what Paul is describing here. This is our nature. This is not God's nature. This is our nature. God is holy. God's wrath is born out of his holiness because of our inability to be holy. We are not righteous. There is none righteous. No, not one. That's why Jesus says in John 3.16, you know, it's funny as we always quote John 3.16, but the rest of the verses are very telling. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Belief, not just know about, but to actually submit their life to Christ, to, to put their whole life in his hands. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not submit, does not believe, does not put their faith for their life is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because of their works were evil. This is what Paul is describing. Mankind, our nature, does not naturally like the light. Look at verse 20. It says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Why is God's wrath being poured out on all mankind? And he says, who make it their aim to suppress the truth? And we see that, well, why? What's the big deal? Because we don't like our lives being exposed. When God's light comes to us and the truth of who God is comes in our life, and the more we know about God, the more of our life gets exposed by his holiness. And it changes. We don't like that. But let me tell you something. All of us, we're all horrible. <laughs> Let that sink in. I'm talking to me, right? There is none righteous. Talking to me, right? Why do we find excuse to make ourselves better than we really are. When we love the light more than what's exposed, 
then God uses that light to remove what is exposed. But the more that you don't want the light to expose, the more that what hasn't been exposed festers and grows and suppresses the truth of God. That's what he's talking about. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Of course, that's just God and money is just the example. But you can't serve two masters. Why do sometimes people hate going to church? Why do they struggle with it? Well, that's where the light exposes your life. You hear things you don't want to hear. You hear truth. And when you hear truth, it, it, it gets you frustrated. You don't like it. And you try to hide it. And we try to hide it with good deeds. And the more we try to hide it with good deeds, the more it festers in our life. James got it real graphic in James chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, and he calls this thing a name that none of us want to be called. But he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Literally makes you an enemy of God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not suppose it to be to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? When he he has saved us and made us a believer and given us his spirit, he doesn't want us to be friends with the world. He wants us to be friends with him. But it's that very thing that the more we make ourselves friends of this world the more we struggle with our Heavenly Father. Is there anybody this morning that here who could, in your heart, you know that you've been holding down some truth of God to prevent it from entering your heart? You know, you've realized it's nothing, it doesn't take something real huge. I'm not talking about something big in your life. It doesn't matter how big or how small it is. Fear that too many times there's things that we fear about the truth of God and there's things that we fear so much that we hide it and we suppress it and in doing so, We do not enjoy the fellowship that God so wonderfully wants us to have. That joy and the peace that surpasses all understanding. We say, why, pastor, why don't I have that? Is there something in your life that you're suppressing? We can't say, yeah, I I I can enjoy God and suppress his truth. We need him to expose it. We want him to expose it because then he carries it out. And he works on our life. He removes that sin. When you and I fight with the truth, when we fight with God's truth, you had better decide to stop fighting as soon as possible. For it will always get worse 
before it gets better if you don't submit to Christ. Think about that. The more that you suppress, the more that you try to ignore whatever truth that you know that God's been working on in your life, the truth about Him, it's all about knowing Him, enjoying Him. The more you suppress, the more you fight with the truth, the less you enjoy that relationship. The worse it's going to get. It never gets better, trust me. Man, I, I'll never forget when my injuries started happening in my life. <laughs> it's like the more I fought with God, and I knew I was fighting with God, but I said, God, just let me have this time. I want this time right now. I want to enjoy this. And I fought with him. And bones started breaking. I couldn't believe it. Knees started bending the way they shouldn't bend. <laughs> I, I just, and I knew I was fighting. And trust me, it got worse before it ever got better. Let God expose it. Get in the Word. Let who He is expose whatever it is that you're afraid of being exposed. Who cares? You have been bought with a price by the precious blood of the Lamb who died for your sins to save you. When you've put your faith and trust in Him, let Him expose everything. And enjoy the relationship with your heavenly Father. Run to Him. You can't save yourself. But He has saved us through the work on the cross. But if you haven't put your faith and trust in Him, you're still trusting in yourself. You're still suppressing the truth. And as long as you still suppress the truth and you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ... And I'm not talking about just know about him and say, oh yeah, the, I, I agree that you know, Jesus is God or Jesus died on the cross. It's a, yeah, I know that. No, you know and hear that you are surrendering your life to him. It's no longer about me. It's about him. But when you do that and he saves you, when he saves you, you're saved. Stop suppressing it. Get to know your heavenly Father. Live without excuse. Don't be one that has excuse. We're going to talk about these excuses that Paul lays out in verses 18 through 20 next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for just the time that we've been together as a family. I pray, Lord, if anyone here is just struggling and Lord, they know they've been convicted by their life and the way that they've been living their life that you, they would not listen to the evil one and say, see, see, look how, how ugly you really are and, 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 and listen to all those unkind words. And, and Lord, that they would just keep suppressing your truth, but Lord, that they would realize you're calling them to you. That your light wants to expose what's really going on in their heart, that they might enjoy being in fellowship, in, in relationship with our Heavenly Father, that they might love you, their Lord and Master, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that they can say that they are walking worthy of the gospel, the good news that you've given to them when Jesus died on the cross for their sins and rose again, 
conquering eternal separation, eternal death, in torment, in hell, with you, without you. But Lord, they are saved and they get to be in a relationship with you for eternity. Because Lord, you are eternal. And now that we've been buried, we've buried ourselves and it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives through me. We now get to enjoy that life, that eternal life that you have. It's now you living through us. May we stop living to be friends with the world, but enjoy you and surrender heart to you. Thank you for these words that you've given us this morning. May we struggle with them and find joy in that struggle and not be scared of the light, but cling to who you truly are, to your holiness. May we long for that, to have that relationship built on your holiness, not on our unholiness. Thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.